Hello, everybody, and welcome to the October 2015 podcast. I'm recording this just a couple of days after coming back from a meeting of the CCC, which stands for the Cumbrian Conjurers Collective. Um, it's a little bit of a joke, really, um, a bit of a little whimsy, um, because um, what it really means is um, a collection of four of us, Paul Prager, Stuart Bowie, Chris Payne and myself, and we've been magical friends for um, well over 30 years. And we all used to live uh, in Bristol or very close to Bristol. But Stuart has now moved up to Cumbria. And, and I've, I've, of course, been down in Exeter for many years, but we've still kept in close contact. And um, for the last um, two or three years, we've started to collect once a year, the four of us together, and basically talk and do magic for three days. Um, it's, it's a fabulous place to go uh, up in Cumbria, where Stuart lives. It's a lovely little village, and uh, we stay with him, and it is a huge amount of fun. And what I find fascinating about it is that um, we, we all know each other very well, as I mentioned. And, of course, this means that we, we all have a lot of respect for each other. We're all different and yet similar in, in enough ways for us to be uh, able to get on together. But magically, we come at things from slightly different angles. And it means that we end up discussing a huge range of magical topics. And in a way that... You, you wouldn't do under normal circumstances. You know, if you, if you meet magicians at the Magic Club, conversations tend to be snatched. Um, they're not private. They're probably not that relaxed. If you go round to visit a magician for an evening, um, you might have a couple of hours when you can, you can show tricks and, and, and discuss magic. But to have three days where basically you're living in each other's pockets... Um, and where everything you do over breakfast, dinner, tea, if you're out, as we went on a boat trip, um, all the time, you're changing the kind of the backdrop. We went for a walk. You, you, you're in a National Trust property, but actually you're still talking magic most of the time. And it means that you can get into some really quite in-depth conversations, which are, are really good fun uh, and really interesting. And I don't know of any other situation which would allow... Um, certainly for me anyway, to, to be able to do this in quite this way. And because we all trust each other, it means that when we, we all bring magic to the meeting uh, and uh, we all talk about the tricks or ideas that we're trying to pursue and the other three will always chip in, make suggestions uh, and so on. And we always, and we've done it again this time, we all come away with all sorts of different ideas and things which we can pursue over the coming months until perhaps we, we meet again um, in a similar way next year. I, th I think in the YouTube generation where people do much more of this type of thing, but they do it exchanging video on online or whatever, to actually collect together in this way in a, in, in a, is much more sociable, but I actually think it's more useful too. And certainly the, the four of us have got a tremendous amount out of it. One of my absolute favourite things to do is to go along to clubs and present lectures. Um, I've been doing it since 1977 and uh, I really, really enjoy that uh, the sort of interactive nature of it. And I love to be able to perform and explain my ideas. And, and when I first started lecturing way back in the late 70s, to be honest, there weren't that many people who were going around lecturing. Um, there were a few, some established names. 
But um, most magic clubs, if they had sort of one or two lecturers a year, they'd be doing quite well. Whereas things have changed dramatically, certainly in the last 10 years, but even before that, as gradually the number of people actually offering lectures has gone up. And the what the clubs actually expect of a lecturer has possibly changed. In the early days, um, when I was first started, I, I was of the impression that basically you went along, you had ideas of your own, which you performed, you explained. And although there may have been one or two things such as lecture notes or the odd item for sale, it, it wasn't seen really by the lecturer anyway as a big money-making um, sort of enterprise. But these days, um, that seems to have changed. Um, Lecturers obviously get paid a fee, usually not a huge fee, but it is nevertheless a fee, and are usually given accommodation and and perhaps travelling expenses as well, depending on the distance the the lecturer needs to cover. Um, But because um, there are, basically, there is a captive audience, then the commercial angle, certainly for some people, has got more and more part of the evening to the point where it actually at times has taken over from the the lecture side of it altogether Uh, and it leads me to consider well these days then what actually is a lecture um how do you define a lecture at what point does it stop being a lecture and become let's say a dealer dem now um i know in the past some people have got very irritated with people who book themselves out as a lecture but actually when they turn up what they do is effectively a dealer dem yes they explain how the tricks are done but um, the problem is that in order to do just about anything that they explain you have to buy some props from them or you have to have perhaps specialist props already now um, i think these days there is there's less uh, a lot of people have less problem with this Uh, than they used to but even so sometimes people do um, uh, complain a bit when they say well look you know this guy was supposed to be doing a lecture but I had to buy everything from him I I couldn't do anything couldn't make up stuff and so it kind of has leads me to think to myself okay so what is the definition of a lecture these days well for me the lecture has always been basically the same and I still hold by what I used to do um, and that is that most of the items, everything in the in the lecture part of the of the evening should be performed and fully explained. So that's the first criteria. The second criteria is that although some of those items may well be made up and offered for sale by the lecturer, it should only be under the understanding that you don't have to buy these things in order to do them. In other words, you could go away and buy the jumbo cards or whatever it is that you need and you could and having either read the lecture notes or paid attention in the lecture, you should um, be able to make up the stuff yourself if you want to. And there will always be people who enjoy that sort of thing. The, the DIY aspect of it for a lot of people is is an attractive part of a lecture. But for others, um, they're very happy to be able to, to buy the thing ready-made. So in other words, what I'm saying is that the difference, in my mind anyway, is that if you have to make up If you have to buy everything in order to be able to do it, that's not acceptable. That's not really a lecture. If you can make up the stuff, but you choose to buy it already made up, then I think that's okay. I would say that's acceptable.
I mean, the fact of the matter is, if lecturers um, can't make money on sales or don't aren't given that opportunity, then it really isn't worth their while going round at all. Certainly for most of them, because the fees just that the societies pay, although they're reasonable, that they're not as much as a just an ordinary, fairly ordinary show in most cases. And so um, if they want people to travel and, and to come and uh, and lecture to them, then, then obviously there has to be some sales element in it in order to be attractive to the person doing the lecture. But I think this balance between how much is marketing stuff and how marketed stuff and how much is is stuff that you're just giving away and that people can make up. I think that balance needs to be thought about quite carefully. So have you thought about um, the magicians perhaps that have come and lectured at your club recently? Um, If you sit back and think about what you saw, what did they fall into? Were they lecturers or were they dealer demos? And and also it, it depends what they've actually booked themselves out as. You know, if a club inquires of somebody and says, would you come and do an evening? And the lecturer says, OK, well, the first hour I'm going to do a lecture, I'll perform and explain everything. But the, the second sort of hour or three quarters of an hour, I'm going to do a dealer dem. If he's upfront about that and the club is happy to, to pay a fee for him to come and do that, then I don't think that's a problem. I think it's when they book themselves in as, as a lecturer who is getting a fee to perform and explain everything and then the vast majority of it, you have to buy stuff in order to do it. I think that, to my mind anyway, is where it's uh, gone too far in the wrong direction. Well, it seems that quite a few people have been having a bit of fun at my expense due to the fact that uh, apparently, and I suppose this is fairly true, but not entirely true, I am a bit of a Jeremy Corbyn lookalike. And of course, since he was voted um, uh, to be the leader of the Labour Party, there's been a lot of pictures and a lot of coverage of him in the media. And uh, and because I look on certain angles a little bit like him, um, several people have informed me that I have an alternative career, possibly leading the Labour Party, or certainly going out and doing a being a lookalike for for Jeremy Corbyn. Actually, I was first aware of all this um, about oh must be about six weeks ago, when um, I was doing a show. And um, at the time, this is before he was elected, he was just, he was in the running to be the next leader of the Labour Party, but he wasn't, hadn't actually, there was no vote going on at the time. It was too early. And um, and some chap came in and, and he, he, he said to me, do you know, I did a double take on you. And I said, sorry, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, I thought you were Jeremy Corbyn for a minute. And my first thought at the time was, who the hell is Jeremy Corbyn? Uh, it took me a moment to, because uh, I was thinking, uh, is this um, a, a comedian, a magician, uh, an actor? And then I wasn't thinking politics at all. Um, anyway, so he said, yeah, yeah, you look just like him. Um, so anyway, so I quickly got a picture of Jeremy Corbyn. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. For a start, he's a lot older than me. Well, quite a lot older than me. And I don't dress like him, although I could get one of the hats. Um, However, this didn't stop um, quite a few people putting a few things on Facebook. Um, One in particular congratulating me on me on becoming the leader of the Labour Party. Incidentally, somebody else had a competition. Uh, It was all a lot of fun. Um, And uh, I also, of course, had quite a few people who thought 
that they were the only people who had said to me, did you know that you look a bit like Jeremy Corbyn? In fact, the, the weekend of around when the, um, the Labour Party elections were going on, um, I was performing at a wedding and I had four separate people tell me, did you know that you look like Jeremy Corbyn, to the extent that I was starting to have to make up lines about it in order to cut them off at the pass so I had something to say about it. Honestly, you never know what's going to happen next, do you? I've um, mentioned in the past in these podcasts that uh, I'm a member of the Entrepreneur's Circle, which is a business group uh, run by a man called Nigel Botterell. And the idea of the Entrepreneur's Circle is it provides help and support and advice for usually for small businesses. And um, although it's absolutely nothing to do with magic, of course, um, it's all to do with business practice, how to market yourself mainly. Uh, I found it for the last five years that I've been a member to be hugely helpful and inspirational. And um, one of the things that the um, Entrepreneur's Circle arranged, they arrange... Um, about four times a year, a national event, which is quite a big um, one-day um, get-together, uh, which happens in um, Solihull. And um, <laughs> originally, when it was first um, sort of decided to do these, they had them in different parts of the country. And they thought that if when they went to the Northwest, then all the people, all the members of the Entrepreneur Circle in the Northwest would go. When they went down to the Southwest, all the people in the Southwest, when they went to the East, and all the people in the East and so on. In fact, what happens, everybody liked it so much that we were all traveling wherever it was. We all just get in, got in our cars and on trains and we all went to it anyway. So they soon realized that, well, actually, let's put it in the middle of the country in Solihull, which is where the Entrepreneur Circle is actually based anyway. And, um, and then everybody will come to us anyway, which, of course, we do. Well, I went to um, the latest one of these um, about three weeks ago, and um, there was a fantastic presentation by a guy called Steve Head. And Steve was the highlight and the hit of the day. Um, the, the, the day is uh, for about 800 people uh, in a huge sort of function room, uh, everybody sits around tables and there's a big stage and big screen video so it's it's quite razzmatazzy and it's quite large in its format um, and there are presentations obviously going on in of different formats and different forms and on different topics on the stage and um, he came on just before lunch and did about an hour and a half and uh, he was talking about being positive um, in business and in your life actually but certainly in business and that an a, that a good attitude will um, take you a very long way but his whole presentation was absolutely hilarious and as an entertainer sitting there watching him I was thinking to myself what a great entertainer this guy actually would make but in fact he is being one because he's putting across a message but he's putting it across in such a way that um, nobody but nobody in the room was nodding off even though some of us got up at the crack of dawn at silly o'clock in order to get to Solihull in time for a start at 10 o'clock um, he kept us all awake and uh, it's very difficult to fall asleep when you're when you're roaring with laughter um, but the skill of the guy is that not only does he he use facial expression he's got pace he's got attack um, he's got light and shade but he also has to put a point across and he did that with, with um, tremendous effectiveness I thought anyway it turns out and he mentioned this from the stage that his son 
uh, Chris, who I think is about 19, is a close-up magician. And um, so that was really interesting. In fact, his whole family, his wife and his, and his daughter as well, they're all involved in, in, in sort of presenting in one form or another. His daughter, for instance, is a very good dancer. So um, the whole family is very much steeped in this. And, and Chris himself, I believe, um, I think his dad said that he went in for the, um, the Magic Circle uh, Young Magician of the Year competition. Uh, and is, but he's being mentored at the moment by John Hatalka. Um, uh, so he's in good hands there. So um, there is a sort of a connection there, clearly, in the family. Steve had being this great presenter, his son being a close-up magician. Um, it all kind of goes together. And when you go to something like the Entrepreneur's Circle, which is, as I say, is nothing to do with magic, you can still get magical benefits in some way, watching somebody like him present and picking up t- hints and tips about how to do it really, really well. Last month, I released uh, a new children's routine. It's been a while, actually, since I've brought out anything specifically for children's entertainers. And this is a routine that I've had it in mind for quite a long time to release. And just it's one of those things I just didn't get round to. Um, But finally, I have got round to it. It's called DC's Rope Routine. And it's a presentation for the Cut and Restore Rope. Um, The Cut and Restore Rope, of course, is a classic of magic, naturally enough. And there are lots of different ways that you can present this. Um, But uh, based on a routine that was shown to me by um, a children's entertainer called Dennis Dennis Collins, hence the DC, um, he um, showed me many, many years ago a routine that he'd developed and he gave me permission to use it. And um, over the years, I've gradually sort of changed it, added bits to it, adapted it to my personality until uh, it's ended up sort of 30 years later being this sort of seven to eight minute um, huge amount of fun leading up to the cut on restored rope. Um, it's designed for young children, so I tend to do it for preschool age or six at the absolute tops, but I tend to do it three, four, sometimes five-year-olds. And you have two children up to help, and there's so many bits of business all segued together, and then there's a nice um, sort of cut and restored rope element at the end. So uh, I've been supplying it now um, for the last month. It's um, been extremely popular. Um, one of my more successful releases in recent times, which is nice. Uh, it comes as a DVD. You see a full live presentation of me presenting the routine uh, at a big show. Uh, and then I go through and talk about and uh, and sort of go through the detail of all the bits of business and obviously the handling of the rope itself. All you need, apart from the two children who you borrow from the audience, is a length of rope and a pair of scissors. And quite a bit of personality just to to make the most of all the bits of business that are incorporated in the routine. So DC's rope routine it only costs fifteen pounds. And uh, go and have a look at my website and um, see what you think. And if you want to order it, then I still have a few left in stock. I don't know about you, but whenever I've done a show, when I'm driving home afterwards. I'm always um, sort of thinking back over uh, everything that happened and kind of evaluating in my own mind whether the show was a success or not. Some shows, of course, are hugely successful and you, for various reasons, you, you happen to go over really, really well. And on the way home, you kind of float home, don't you? It's a, it's a wonderful feeling, a high adrenaline burst, uh, excitement, energy. It all goes well. Everybody loves you. And you think, this is just brilliant. But then there are other times, of course, when 
there may be a little something go wrong. Uh, you might something that you, in one of the tricks might not go quite right, or you might make an error, or you may forget something important as part of a routine. Uh, and often the audience isn't aware of it, of course, but of course you know. And because you know what was supposed to happen, I, I get slightly irritated when I think, oh, that's so stupid. Why did I forget that? Or why didn't I say that or do this at the appropriate moment? Um, and when you think about shows generally, whereas I would say, certainly in, in my case, most shows are either fine, OK, nothing wrong, or they're great. Very, very rarely do I get a show that was an absolute disaster. I suppose when you've been in Magic a long time, you a don't tend to take on shows that are not going to be suitable for you because that can often be why a show doesn't go very well is because basically you've you've either been booked into by an agent or you have booked yourself in to do something that really wasn't your strength and um you sort of saw the pound signs think oh i'll take that one on but actually you weren't you didn't have the act for it or you didn't have the personality or the stage presence for it or whatever it might be it just doesn't suit you and you don't go down well um, but most of the time, provided that you're booking yourself, as I say, into shows that you're capable of doing well, then it should be OK. But when there is one, when there's something fairly major that you get upset about, isn't it funny how that's what you'll remember? Y you know, if someone asks you to tell a story about performing, you'll always f you nearly always end up finding something that didn't go right. Those are the things that tend to stick in our minds more. And I don't I'm never quite sure whether that's because most of the shows go OK. So they kind of blur into one. Yeah, it was absolutely fine mode. And then because the mistakes or the errors are are less common, they tend to stick out. Or whether it's just that there's something about our characters that makes us worry about things, perhaps, especially if you're a bit of a perfectionist, worry about the little things that went wrong uh, and tending to ignore all the things that went right. But I know if, certainly from my point of view, uh, if if something and it may not be, as I say, something that the audience actually notices, but something that I know, it will often bother me all the way home. Um, and it may even bother me for a couple of days afterwards if it's serious enough. Um, and I, I have to try and remind myself, whoa, hold on a minute. It was one small thing. Hardly anybody noticed. In fact, probably nobody did. Um, so don't sort of dwell on it because otherwise you can sort of you get all eaten up with uh, with worry about these things when actually you really don't need to so what, what's it like for you do you tend to remember all the good bits and forget all the bad bits or do you remember more the bad bits and tend to forget all the good bits be fascinating to know the answer to that really now although my birthday is not until the end of february and although my wife Roz, her birthday is not until the middle of december um, this month, um, we are actually going to uh, go on holiday in order to celebrate a, how can I phrase this, one of the more significant birthdays in one's life. And um, because our, our ages are very, very close, even though you know, our birthdays are only obviously a couple of months apart, um, we're going to go to California to celebrate, going with my, my daughter and her husband, and going to spend a, a couple of weeks going to Yosemite Park and taking a road trip up uh, up along the coast in a big circle starting off and finishing at san francisco so we're really looking forward to that 
um, it'll be a, a lovely way to celebrate. Um, but what it does mean, of course, in terms of my business, is that I'm going to have to close the office for a couple of weeks. So if you're thinking of any um, urgent orders that you need to make, then you may like to reflect on the fact that the office will uh, will close on Friday the 16th of October and it won't open again until Monday the 2nd of November. So if as I say, if there is anything urgent that you need, if you could um, avoid that time you're more like, and do it in the two weeks before that or obviously into November, that would be very helpful because otherwise I won't be there to deal with it. One of my favourite types of show to do um, is a wedding. Um, And I do quite a few uh, weddings every year. And I like them because I like the the widespread of ages, everything from children to sort of granny, if you like. Uh, They're usually happy occasions. And um, there's something about the atmosphere of a wedding that I think is conducive to the sort of magic that we do. And I think strolling magic fits in really well at weddings. It's certainly, in my experience anyway does enhance the experience for for the guests but there's there's one difficulty with weddings and uh, i've i've never successfully resolved this really and that is that if you're doing the tables magic at the tables there's not normally a problem because the bride and the groom and the, and the best man and all, all those people are all on the top table and then the other tables, it's a designated number of tables and you treat it just like a dinner, basically. You just get round the tables. But it's when you're doing, um, let's say, the drinks reception before the wedding breakfast itself, then it's incredibly hard to find and pin down the key people um, at the wedding, the bride and the groom particularly. And the bride and the groom, usually during the drinks reception, are off taking photo- having their photographs taken. And, of course, they'll be having photographs taken quite often with other key members of either friends or family members who will be going in and out. But the bride and groom will be busy all the time. And so while you're entertaining the guests, their guests while they're having a drink, the bride and groom won't be there. And then when they come back and sort of join in with the group again, again, prior to going into the wedding breakfast everybody wants a piece of them because they've only just got married literally minutes before so nobody's had a chance really to talk to them about the about it all about the experience and so you you can't barge up very easily and start entertaining the bride or the groom who usually split up incidentally you know the bride will be talking to some people the groom will be talking to others and they're so in demand that for you to go and take their time and show them several tricks is very difficult and it's probably not even appropriate. Um, And then, of course, you think, well, just before they go in for the meal, but then they tend to line up. If it's a reasonably large wedding, then um, they have to go and stand and welcome everybody through into the meal. All these little ritualistic things that happen at weddings. And and so it's almost impossible. And and when I do just the drinks reception, I often realise that... um, I've, enter- I've been booked by the bride and groom to come and entertain, but I haven't actually done any magic for them. And I always feel slightly guilty about this, but in a way, it's hardly surprising. I mean, yes, they're booking you really to entertain their guests, aren't they? Especially in that drinks reception. They know, or you've told them, and therefore they then know, that there's going to be a lull, and there's going to be, a t- could be an hour, an hour and a half, even longer sometimes, two hours, before the people go in to eat. So having you there is a wonderful thing for the guests. 
But of course, as I say, for the bride and groom, they don't have all this spare time. And so it's actually really, really difficult to get to do magic for them. So, um, yeah, funny thing, really. There have been quite a few weddings where uh, I haven't actually entertained the bride and groom at all. Um, and I just hope that they understand that uh, it wasn't that I wasn't there or wasn't that I wasn't working. It was simply that they were too busy. You know, I reckon we are really lucky to have magic, all of us, as part of our lives. Because when you think about it, magic's actually really good for you. Because generally speaking, magic is a happy thing. Most of the time when I go out to work, I'm going out to a celebration of some sort. It might be a birthday party, an anniversary, a wedding... Um, a children's party these are happy occasions and when you go to these occasions you are often the life and soul of the party so you have to be happy and you have to kind of switch on when you arrive at the venue and become that extroverted out outgoing happy sort of person um, and so because we our job is very upbeat uh, and positive I think it helps us in our perhaps in our natural characteristics to be like that as a person. And I think the more you, you, you work and the more entertainment you do and the more you have to be this type of character, it would be nice to think that the more it goes into your normal behaviour. Magic's a very motivating thing. You know, I, you get up in the morning and, and for me anyway, doing magic all the time, it's not a, oh no, got to go to work today. I really look forward to it. And it's something that I've never really taken for granted, especially doing it as I do as a career. I think it's a wonderful thing and I wouldn't swap it for anything. Uh, and I think it's it's helped me to be much more of an extrovert, become much more confident in myself. And as I say, I wouldn't really swap it for anything. And I really hope that you feel the same about your magic too. Right, well, that's the end of the October podcast. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you found something of interest amongst all of that i hope you have a really great month and i'll look forward to uh, speaking to you all again next month bye for now